And now we take you to Evangel Assembly of God in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as, there, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hands into the wound of my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You know, when it comes to Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, when it comes to his ascension back to heaven, when it comes to him sending the Holy Spirit, when it comes to him returning again on a white horse, every one of us has got to determine, am I a believer or am I going to be a doubter? Many years ago, while I was pastoring in Illinois, one day our secretary brought a note to me. She said, this gentleman wants you to call him. He says, it's very important that he meet with you. And when I met with this man, he explained to me, he said, uh, I'm a Jewish businessman. I've made a lot of money. He says, but I'm dying of an inoperable brain tumor. And he says, my mother and father-in-law attend your church. And they told me that before I die, I've got two months left to live. And before I die, I need to get my life right with God. And I'm not even sure what that means. But that's the reason I've come to see you. And everybody look at me. You don't have to come see a preacher to get your right life right with God. You just need to see a Christian who can lead you into a relationship with the Lord God. Well, I asked the man, I said, have you asked Jesus to help you? I said, the Bible said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jeremiah 20, uh, 33 verse 3 says, call upon me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not of. And he smiled and he says, you know, I, I figured you'd get religious on me. I said, what do you mean? He says, I don't even know if I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't even know if I believe that he is the Son of God. He says, don't forget I was raised Jewish. He said, I went to a Jewish school through the sixth grade. He said, I studied the Torah. He says, I'm a good person. He says, I'm a better person than anybody I know. And I just believe God's going to let me into heaven. And I I listened to him, and I said, well, you know, it's good to study the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. It's good to study Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But it's better to study the New Testament because Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 says that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant established upon better promises. Well... The New Testament, I told him, is the way you can find out how to be right with God, is how you can make heaven your home. And so I want to ask you, have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He says, what do you mean by Savior? And I thought of Luke chapter 2, as the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field they says unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior 
Who is Jesus Christ, the Lord? I'm telling you, Jesus is a Savior. That word Savior or to be saved comes from the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O, and it means to be rescued. It means to be preserved. It means to be delivered. It means to be healed. It means to be made whole. It means to restore. And I'm telling you, our Lord Jesus is a restorer of a relationship with God. I looked at him and he looked at me. I said, you would be interested in this. Did you know that there are over 350 prophecies about the Messiah found in the Old Testament, found in the first five books of the Bible, found in the book of Psalms? You like the book of Psalms, don't you? He says, yes, I like the Psalms. I said, there there are prophecies in there about the Messiah. I said, there are prophecies in the prophets about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled over 350 of those prophecies. I didn't go over all those 350 with that man, but think about this for a minute. Genesis 3 verse 15 says that the Messiah will be born of the seed of a woman. And Galatians 4 verse 4 says in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born the seed of a woman. Everybody say check. (laughs) Genesis chapter 12 says the Messiah will be a descendant of Abraham. Everybody say check. Genesis 17 that says the Messiah is going to be a descendant of of, of Jacob. Everybody say check. Numbers chapter 24 says he's going to be a descendant of Isaac. Everybody say check. Genesis 49 says the Messiah is going to be an heir to the tribe of Judah. Everybody say check. Isaiah chapter 9 says that the Messiah is going to be an heir to, 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 to the throne of David. Everybody say check. Psalms 45 says the Messiah is going to be not only eternal, but he's going to be anointed. Everybody say check. Micah 5 verse 2 says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Everybody say it. Mm. Isaiah 7 verse 2 says he's going to be born of a virgin. Come on, say it with me. Check. Hosea 11 says the Messiah is going to live in Egypt for a season. In fact, Hosea puts it this word. He says, out of Egypt I have called my son. Do you remember Jesus, even as an infant, had to go into Egypt along with his mom and dad for their own safety and preservation? Everybody say check. Psalms 2 says the Messiah is going to be declared to be the Son of God in power. Everybody say check. Isaiah 61 says the Messiah is going to be anointed. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted. Say check. He's going to preach good news to the captives. Say check. He's going to proclaim liberty to the captives. Say check. Come on. Opening a prison to those who are bound. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord to comfort all who mourn. Isaiah said he's going to be wounded for our transgressions. He's going to be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the cost for our peace is placed upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Everybody say check. Check, 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 check. Jesus fulfilled over 350 prophecies that we find in the Old Testament. I said, sir, if you want to get your life straightened out with God, and I think that's the reason you came to see me, he says, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I've never heard it put that simple. Do you mean all I got to do is put my faith in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. I said, that's a starting place. I said, it's where you get started. And then he grew quiet for a minute. He says, well, if, if, if Jesus is really the Messiah and if God is good, why is there such suffering in this world? 
Why is there such heartache? Why is there, why are there wars? And why is there cruelty? And why is there poverty? And I thought about Paul Young E. Cho going to the barber. He went to his barber one morning and he was cutting Pastor Cho's hair. And the barber said, Pastor Cho, I went to your church yesterday. And in that service, you were talking about how good God is. You were talking about how merciful God is. Well, if God is so good, why is there poverty? And if God is so good, why is there racism? And if God is so good, why are there people in trouble all over the earth today? And Dr. Cho, you'll recall, he said, come with me. He got up from the barber's chair and the barber put down his scissors and his, and his, and his comb and he says, come with me. And they began walking down the streets of Seoul, Korea. And they walked until they came to a homeless man sitting in a gutter, drinking some cheap wine. The man's hair hadn't been cut in four or five months. His beard was all matted. And Cho says, look at that man. Look at him hard. And the barber looked at the man. And Dr. Cho said, I can't believe you call yourself a barber and you allow a man like this to live on the streets. He says, I am a barber, but I can't help this man unless he comes to me and asks for help. And Joe said, that's the same way with God. God doesn't help people unless they humble their hearts, unless they get hungry enough for him, unless they want more than just fire insurance and say, I want Jesus Christ to be the king and the Lord and the master of my life. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. I told the man that story and then I, then I said, you know, the truth is this, there's suffering and there's wrongdoing in this world and there's people hating other people because even the best of people in this world, if they're not serving Jesus Christ, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Not only are they dead in their trespasses and sins, but the devil is actually leading their life. He says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I took him to Ephesians chapter two, verses one and two. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, think about that. Outside of Jesus Christ, we are literally dead in trespasses and sins. He says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey him. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how wonderful the intentions of your heart are. The Bible says here, look at verse 2, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. See, there's suffering in this world because people who mean well are actually not serving Jesus or serving the devil. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good, but it's true. Jesus said this. He said, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And a lost person is somebody who doesn't know why they're on this earth. And they don't know where they're going. See, there's a lot of people, they don't know why they're on the earth. They think, well, I must just be on earth just to party and have a good time and, and seek pleasure and fulfillment and, and just, just, just to enjoy myself. You know, it, it's easy to fall into an Epicurean or a, or a, or a nihilistic philosophy. But I'm telling you, God has a purpose for everybody. God has a design for you. God says, I know the plans for you, says the Lord. I have their plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. You know, I've shared the gospel with some people, and maybe this has happened to you, but I've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with some people, and they've looked at me and grinned and said, you know what? What? 
I don't want Jesus Christ in my life. I'm just going to live for myself and live for the devil. And one day I'm going to go to hell with all my buddies, with all my friends. And we're going to take a couple of kegs of beer down there and we're going to party in hell. And I think my word, my word, my word. They don't realize that hell is a place of utter destruction. Hell is a place of hell fire. It's a place of torment prepared for the devil and his angels. Folks, everybody look at me. I want you to hear me well. There's no beer in hell. There's no Coca-Cola or Pepsi or Sprite or Mountain Dew in hell. There's no water in hell. Jesus told a parable about the rich man and, and about a fellow named Lazarus. Lazarus went to heaven. The rich man goes to hell and he looks up and he says, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus down here. Let him just bring a little bit of water and touch my tongue. And God says he can't do it. There's a great gulf that separates the two of us. I'm telling you, Jesus said in Mark 9 that hell is a place where the worms that eat people do not die and the fire is not quenched. Luke 16:9 says hell is a place of torment and burning flames. Jude 1:13 says that hell is where there is the blackness of darkness forever. That's an interesting way to say it. There's a blackness of darkness forever. You're not going to go to hell and party with your friends. You won't be able to see anybody. You won't be able to see your hands in front of your face you'll be in a place where there's the blackness of darkness forever matthew 25 41 jesus said hell is a place of everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels other people you know they said to me well i'm not too worried about going to hell i'm going to purgatory one day when i die i'm going to be reincarnated as a flower i'm going to be reincarnated as a bull, a cow. Everybody look at this preacher this morning. Everybody look at me. The Bible never mentions reincarnation. It never mentions purgatory. The Bible says there's a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am not a way, a truth, a life among many other ways. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the reigning, ruling monarch of the universe. I am the first, the last. I am the beginning and the ending. I am the only way way to God. Can you say amen? I looked at that fellow that day and I said, Isaiah 59 verse 2. Isaiah 59 verse 2. You can read it when you go home. It says our sins literally separate us from God. And here's what happens. As, as, as we go through life doing evil, as we go through life sinning, you can convince yourself that you are right. You can, you can convince yourself that everybody else is wrong and that you are right. You can justify yourself. You can be a legend in your own mind. And then when you're confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you're in, confronted with truth, when you're confronted with the fact that, hey, I'm a sinner and I need a savior because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's what happens many times. A wall of guilt separates people from the Lord Jesus Christ because to accept Christ means that people have to admit, hey, I'm wrong. I'm going in the wrong direction. I've got to change. I need to turn around. And so many times it's the pride of life 
that keeps people from the cross of Christ. Folks, God is a God of love. He is a God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. But he's not just a God of love. He's a God of justice. And his holiness and his justice required that a price be paid for sin. In the Old Testament, they were continually offering bulls and goats and sheep and oxen. And it would atone for sin for a season. And then they had to do it all over again. How many of you are people who say, I, I, I'm, a, I, I'm, really, I'm a loving person, especially to my family? Come on, just be honest. Okay? How many of you say, I, I really love justice too? I, I, I like to see things done right. I like to, there to be honesty. I like to see the scales balanced. I like to see people have to pay for the wrongs. I lo- I, I'm a person of love and I'm a person of justice. Come on, let me see your hands. Our state's attorney... Willie Meggs tells a story of a, of a man who was over in Jefferson County. And his son went on a crime spree. He did a lot of things he never should have done. He seemed to get off. Nobody, the police couldn't solve any of the, the crimes. But the father knew that his son had committed every single one of them. And that father loved his son. But he loved justice too. And he wrestled with it, but he finally called... The police department, he says, my boy is the one who's guilty of doing this, 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 and the other. And the police came and picked him up and arrested him on the strength of that daddy's testimony. But Willie Meg says that daddy didn't stop there. He says when the boy was taken into jail, the daddy was waiting on him. And that daddy says, can I please post his bond? Can I make bail for my boy? And he says that the daddy hired the best attorney that he could hire. And Willie Meg said that if possible, that daddy would have gone to prison and served the sentence of that boy. But it wasn't possible. Now everybody look at me. That's exactly what God did when he sent his only begotten son. When he sent Jesus to this earth to die on the cross. He was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Because God knew that the blood of bulls and goats. That the blood of animals could never permanently take away sin. And God loves the world. But God's justice cried out for justice to take place. That there had to be a sacrifice. And God said okay I will be the sacrifice. I will go to the cross. I will let you nail me to the cross. I will let you kill me. So here comes the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the incarnation of God Almighty, the one who was there when God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Jesus says, I will go to earth, and I will live a sinless life, and I will give myself as a sacrifice. I will give my blood that atones for every person's sin. But it doesn't do any good for Jesus just to have died on a cross and have risen from the dead and ascended back to the right hand of the Father and sent the Holy Spirit if you and I don't say yes to the grace of God. And it's not something we say yes to just once or twice. I have to say yes to the grace of God every day of my life. I have to get up and make a decision. Who am I going to serve today? And Am I going to serve myself or am I going to serve Jesus? Am I going to live for my glory? Am I going to live for His glory? Am I going to be conformed to this world? Or am I going to be transformed through the renewing 
of my mind. I said, sir, what you got to do is you got to admit in your own heart that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. You've got to admit that Jesus Christ died for you and you've got to ask Him to come into your life. You've got to, you've got to make Him your King and make Him your Lord. And the man looked at me and he began to tremble. He finally says, I don't know how to do this. I said, well, ask God to help you. I don't know what to say. I said, I tell God to help you. Ask him to help you. And his prayer was something like this. And he's shaking all over. He says, God, help me. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus hears the faintest cry. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what you feel. He knows what you go through. He says, God, would you help me? And so then I began to help him to pray. I said, I said, here's what I want you to do. He says, say, say, Jesus, forgive me for not believing on you. Jesus, cover me by your blood. Oh, Jesus, be my king and be my Lord. I renounce, come on, repeat after me. This is all saying to him. I renounce the devil. I renounce darkness. I renounce all the hold that wickedness has had on my life. And Jesus, I ask you to make me clean on the inside. Jesus, I ask you to make me a new person on the inside. I want you to be my king and my Lord. And God is my witness for the next 30 minutes. That man continued to tremble and he cried a bucket full of tears. And in that moment of time, over 45 years of hardness of heart, crusting. I'm going to tell you something. Sin will create a crust over your heart. The Bible says, don't let your hearts grow hard as in the wilderness. That's what happened to the children of Israel. Sin will create a crustiness over your heart. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, you and I, we're not Christians because we come to church. We're not Christians because we believe in a certain creed or, or because uh, we, we subscribe to a certain philosophy of life. Let me tell you what it really means to be a Christian. Here we go. Number one, to really be a Christian, you've got to have Jesus, who is God, become flesh to come and live on the inside of you. You've got to say, Jesus, I want you to live in me. I'm not doing such a good job by myself. I need you to live in me. Colossians 127, says, Is Christ in you who is the hope of glory? Number two, what does it mean to really be a Christian? It means that you've got to repent of your sin. And that's the sin of not believing on Jesus Christ as Lord. See, I've, I've heard some people preach and teach and say, well, if you really want to get saved, you've got to confess all your sins to the Lord. Well, i got news for you. I couldn't remember all my sins. You couldn't remember them all either. Jesus, just before being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you'll read this in John chapter 16. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes... He's going to, we're talking about the Holy Spirit in you. He says when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. He said of sin because you have not believed on me. So what is it when to really get saved, to really give your heart to the Lord? What is it you've got to do? You've got to acknowledge, hey, Lord, I have not 
believed and I've not lived like you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want you to be total Lord of my life. And then the second part of that really being saved is to trust the shed blood of Christ as the full payment for all of your sins. Everybody look at me. I want you to hear this preacher this morning. For so many years, I used to think I was saved because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of my selfish ambition to live for the Lord. Hmm. Let me try it over here. For so many years, I thought I was saved because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of my strong will to achieve holiness and to live for him. The Bible says I've been saved by grace through faith, not of myself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That I am his workmanship. That now, I'm going to tell you what, I've got a, a Christian lifestyle, and there's certain things I do and don't do. I'm not trying to be saved. I, do, I, I live that way because I am saved. I stay away from sin because I am saved. There are some conversations I don't get into because I am saved. There are some places I don't go to because I am saved. There are some things I don't do because I am saved. There are a lot of television programs I don't watch because I am saved. Getting quiet in this place. Come on. Listen to Romans 5 verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We've got to really be saved. You've got to trust the shed blood of Christ as the full payment for all of your sins. Glory to God. Number three, to be a Christian means to be forgiven. Everybody say forgiven. That means to really have your sins taken away as if they never existed, to have the record swept clean. Psalms 103 says that he takes our sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west. One of the prophets says he takes our sins and he puts them in the sea of forgetfulness. First John 1 verse 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And finally, to really be a Christian, it means that we're born again. And I know that, that that's a phrase that, you know, may not have the meaning that, that God intends. One way to say it, that we have to be born from above. One night, this fellow named Nicodemus, he was a, a scholar. He came to Jesus by night and he says, Lord, where do I go from here? What do I need to do? And Jesus looked at Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And he says, what does that mean? He says, I, I, I'm an old man. Do I, does that mean I go back and I'm born again out of my mother's womb? And Jesus said, don't be ridiculous, Nicodemus. Don't play with me, man. You've already been born. You don't need to go back to your mother's womb, but you need to be born of the Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit in you. And let me tell you how he wants to start working in your life. He starts by bringing conviction of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. He continues his work as we start to say yes to him. He woos us and draws us to himself. 
And then he gets involved in the work of regeneration. Jesus said, you've got to be born again of the Spirit. In other words, your spirit person on the inside needs to come alive. And the only way your spirit person on the inside is going to come alive is by putting your faith and your trust, not in yourself, but putting your faith and trust in the shed blood of Christ as the full payment. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.